We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and honored to be so. I am the president of Fire Investigations, uh, well, FCII, I don't know what it is, but I'm the president of it, (laughs) Fire Consulting and Case Review International, and also um, a leader of an alliance of 200 fire investigators throughout the country called Consolidated Fire Investigation Services. This is Donna Ingram. I've been almost 30 years in fire and fraud, past director of the IAAI, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. And welcome it is, because I've got two friends here in in the studio with us. Uh, uh, I've known uh, our first guest uh, for a number of years. His name is Larry Doty, and uh, I met him when he was a police detective, and he has a a major's and a bachelor's degree with majors in psychology and history and political science. I didn't know we shared that in psychology. I think he was trying to figure out how screwed up I was. That's number one. And he was a a police officer in um, Raytown, Missouri. Uh, starting in uh, from seven, 74 to 86, and then he worked for four different special investigations units for insurance companies, uh, and then and f- then returned to being a police officer. So, welcome, Larry, and why couldn't you keep a job? Yeah. <laughs> They just kept running me out everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I don't. I know for years that you you worked in uh, in many. Uh, large carriers and uh, and uh, and you were moving up in uh, in the echelon when you were doing that. We also have my friend uh, Kent Bevan from Dysart Taylor uh, and he is a very experienced uh, great attorney in insurance law and litigation. Um, he's uh, he's handled a variety of cases which I'll let him talk to you about and ten- and on on top of that he was reserve officer judge advocate general's corps um, and uh, ended his uh, military career as a colonel. Uh, so uh, he's a, a vet, and, and I'm a vet, and I, and, uh, and I think Larry goes to a vet. Anyway, and, uh, <laughs> and Kent has admitted for practice in uh, the U.S. Supreme Court and Missouri Supreme Court. He's, he is, he's a terrific uh, attorney. Uh, Kent, please say hi to our listening audience. Mike, good afternoon. It's good to be with you today. Thank you. And, and Donna. Thank you. And Larry. I, I, I do have a question. Do you need to do a disclaimer before we go any further? Yeah, I do. And and that is simply that uh, anything that I say here today is general information uh, of an educational type nature is not uh, to be construed as legal advice. And no one should run out and say, oh, I talked to a lawyer and here's what the lawyer said, because uh, I'm only talking to you generally through the airwaves. So okay. no legal advice is given here today. It's general information. Okay. So, and you don't pra- do you practice internationally at all? Can't we have uh, lawyers that uh, are really are connected more to the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have some uh, lawyers though that get involved in international uh, things. Uh, some in Canada, some in Mexico, uh, through the uh, Transportation Lawyers Association and other things. Okay. Not necessarily fire related, but. 
uh, our practice is broader than just litigation and insurance. Right. And, and well, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about that for a second. But I wanted to tell you that this goes internationally. And so, um, you know, we have people in the Ukraine. We have people in Vietnam. We have keep people in uh, in uh, Georgia. Uh, not not the only state of Georgia, the other one. No, that's uh, a foreign country, too. Yeah, what, that's, 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 that's a matter of opinion. That's for my Georgia people. Yes, uh, <laughs> we like Georgia, by the way, and Tennessee and everybody down <laughs> south. I just want to let you know that. Okay. Now, and uh, but your litigation, your practice, your, your attorneys do more than uh, insurance defense work, right? We do. Uh, we handle not only insurance defense, but general litigation, commercial litigation. We have lawyers that do uh, write wills and trusts and lawyers that deal with business corporate law, transportation law, aviation, trademark. Our short list is what we don't do. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then Dicer Taylor is right here in Kansas City, um, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, do you have uh, satellite offices? We don't. We're very close to the Kansas state line and we are regularly practicing in both Missouri and Kansas, but other uh, states as necessary of the jurisdictions. Well, great. Now, now, Larry, you worked in um, you worked in Missouri Raytown uh, Police Department for a number of years, and you were a detective there, and that's when I met you there. Right? Yes. Yeah, and uh, and you um, and then you were, worked for different insurance companies. Did, did your insurance companies uh, did they handle the like the Midwest region, or did they go all over the country, or what? Primarily the Midwest. Yes, uh, almost every company I worked for uh, Midwest, but couple of them, actually, I would do some investigations all the way up to North Dakota, Minnesota. So it varied. Yeah. Right. And now tell, tell us what, uh, and uh, the reason, of course, I, I invite you into the show is you have all this experience as a uh, special investigations unit uh, investigator for insurance companies. So um, uh, what, special investigations units were, were established by insurance companies. Uh, why? To uh, obviously to combat fraud, to be fair to people who are honest and not have to throw those extra charges onto, you know, their fees and uh, any settlements that they might get. So it was to and also to comply with the law, to be fair and and not to commit a crime. Right. So, in fact, insurance uh, commissioners throughout the country even mandate insurance companies to in- investigate fire, right? Yes. And and so the special investigation units were formed. Um, well, let's take a fire case, for example. Um, in a fire case, uh, and I know different companies have different uh, different ideas about this, but well, generally in fire cases, uh, you're you're a certified fire investigator. Were you allowed to to do your own investigations, uh, or did you have to hire an outside expert? Well, with two of the companies, I was allowed to go do my own. One company I did strictly workers' comp concerns, mm-hmm. and then one company I could not do my own origin and cause, uh, and that was. Uh, I brought you in on one of those very interesting cases, uh, and I worked the investigation side. You did the fire side. It turned out very interesting. Right. And as a matter of fact, um, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that case in a moment. But I just wanted to make sure that you knew that, uh, that the listening audience knew that fire experts um, do work for insurance companies as well as privately. Now, private investigators, such as the ones with Consolidated Fire Investigation Services, are all over the country, and um, they're in every state, 
and they are hired by insurance companies or attorneys or even uh, corporations or manufacturers to do fire investigations. And, uh, and in fact, uh, Kent, sometimes when, you, when you're hired by an insurance company and they haven't done an, an origin and cause examination yet, uh, are you uh, you're given authority to hire investigators? I generally work with the insurance uh, upline claims personnel I'm dealing with, and we discuss what type of expert we need, what type of consultant, and certainly an ONC person, origin and cause, is, is one that immediately comes to mind. You've got to know what you're dealing with. Absolutely. And so, and so, and we and we hire all kinds of different uh, engineers and things of that nature, right? If we need special uh, special um, subject matter experts, right? It could be anything from mechanical to structural to even civil, from time to time, right? I work a lot of uh, commercial fire, um, commercial kitchen fires, and I have a a, a guy named Chip Barnhart of Barnhart Consulting, um, and he is a subject matter. Expert and he and he's he used to work for manufacturers, so I mean knows all about the systems. So I I use them when I'm going on an, on an origin and cause after so that I of course with permission of the insurance company because um, you have to have permission. But uh, I know that these things these witnesses become very valuable for you in litigation. Correct? Absolutely. You've got to. Uh, look at what's out there. The whole idea of fire investigation is a search for the truth. You're trying to find what, find out what happened and uh, not what one party or one company or one individual wants it to be, but what it truly is. And there's really only one right answer that's, that's truthful. And that's true. And in fact, uh, Larry and I, uh, we're, we're members of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and he is uh, on the board of directors for the Missouri chapter, the IAAI. And we have this challenge coin that says, I'm a truth seeker, not a case maker. And that comes straight out of our code of ethics. And and that's the way you've always operated, haven't you, Larry? It is. Whether it was fire investigation or even fraud related to insurance. If the facts aren't there, we just moved on. Exactly. And in fact, we've cleared many of an insured where somebody would th- thought or even called in and said they did it. And then you found out that that was all a bunch of... Yes. Women. And I always felt much better doing that than going the other way. Right. So ideally, and I'm going to back up here, when a fire occurs... There's a couple of things that have to be considered. One is if it's a fraudulent fire. The other is subrogation. So for you, Kent, when when is it important for you to be contacted by the insurance carrier? Really as early as possible because you don't get a second chance to make a first impression and you don't get a second chance to uh, do a scene. Mm-hmm. And part of it is, again, selecting the right people that need to see things in real time as the onion is peeled back and things are, are discovered and learned. And you, you need to also collect uh, facts, documents, photographs, and evidence, physical evidence. And, and to do that, you have to have the, the right people that are, are vetted, real experts. Larry, you used to, I mean, you were in uh, these investigation units, um, and even when you weren't doing them yourselves and you had to, to go 
uh, outside for an expert. Did, did you um, did you have a vetting process, or did you like I you know I do that inside uh, up the Consolidated Fire Investigation Services are all vetted experts. So did you do those, or did somebody else vet? Our them our headquarters for whatever company would do that, and then find the regional people within your group or area and put them on the list. So it'd be an authorized list, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I ran one for an entire company one time where just uh, we we had all the we had 150 investigators that were throughout the country. I've I've expanded that since then. But um, you, when you did, uh, well, let's talk about a case because you, you were you, we worked a case together once once upon a time. And 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 tell us tell us a little story about this case. Don't tell his name because you don't remember. <coughs> uh, are you talking about the one when I was still a police officer or the insurance one? Either one. Okay. Well, the very first time I met Mike, I was a detective. We got called out in the middle of the night to this large restaurant fire. It was obvious arson. It was actually made to look like arson because there was about 12 to 15 different fire sets throughout the building. There was forced entry into the building. It was made to look like a burglary, and then we're going to cover it up with the fire. As it turned out, um, it was more of an insurance uh, motive, uh, financial motive, because the guy wasn't doing that well business-wise. Just a few days into the investigation, we were contacted by the FBI, and they said, well, one of the people that set your fire has actually turned into the witness protection program, and he's given up everybody else, which included the business owner and two other of the fire setters that, let's just say, maybe had a little connection to some organized crime. And... Um, <laughs> Very interesting case. Um, that was the first time I met Mike, who had gone from law enforcement into the private sector, mm-hmm. and sadly, I've known him ever since. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a terrible thing. That was many years ago. That was like 1980s. Early, early 80s. Yes, yes. early 80s. And, uh, and that so was, I was going to ask, there wasn't security cameras or that kind of technology. That was a little bit before that became. <laughs> yes. Now, sadly, uh, Two of the guys pled guilty, two of the fire setters, mm-hmm. but the, the owner actually was acquitted on that because went to federal court. He'd never been arrested before. His attorney argued, well, who are you going to believe? My client, who's never been in trouble, or this career criminal? Mm-hmm. And he was later had some other uh, insurance issues which for which he was indicted and convicted. But. Yeah, isn't that funny? And so, well, you'll you'll find out. We find out in many cases where someone who who actually gets away with something. Let's let's say they have a burglary and they 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 puff up their claim and they get away with it. Well, that's a that's a taste. Of, that's a little bit of a taste. And when they come back to to um, the second time, that's mm-hmm. when they. And by the way. Uh, criminals are not very bright, frankly, um, because they they always make mistakes. And we're going to find you uh, if you if you commit an arson. We're going to find you. Um, and I I always warn people against setting their own fires. I don't feel sorry for people that set their own fires. And and um, and if they get burned, and then uh, I don't feel sorry for their burns. Uh, it's just uh, it's just the way it is. And um, and Kent, you, you've worked uh, you've worked cases where. Uh, the insured has been an, the arsonist, right, or at least paid for it. Is that correct? That's true. And uh, a lot of times the insured will almost always have some type of alibi, some way that they were not in town, they were at the lake, they were at the mountains, they were gone, or they were working. 
but uh, that kind of goes to the issue of tying down testimony. Uh, usually, people will make one or more mistakes when they're giving their story. You want to tie them down under oath as soon as you can, and you do that. Uh, one technique is the examination under oath, and uh, what that involves, most insurance policies have that provision where the insurance company has the election to take sworn testimony from the insured, and they can do that. The person is uh, actually sworn to tell the truth like they would be in court, and uh, mm -hmm. they can be asked questions. They have to produce documents if the policy provides that they produce documents, and then those facts and all can be checked out and vetted. Well, that's terrific because that's what, Larry, when, when you got the fires uh, cases, if you were working them yourselves and you found out that it was a fire, um, an incendiary fire, a, a, an arson fire, because that's what, that's what everybody will recognize, an arson fire, uh, or you, you got it from me and I told you it was an arson fire, and, and you know, then you would begin your, your, your intense investigation, right? We would almost always, and uh, just I'll add to where he talked about alibis, Yes. the big case with the restaurant guy yeah. he actually met with all these guys like two weeks before said you will do it on this weekend because i will be at my daughter's wedding in florida he <laughs> had the alibi so you're right anyway but we would then move on to uh we would get authorization forms to check finances because there's almost largely a financial motive and if somebody's either filed bankruptcy going through divorce, whatever, there'd be a financial motive. We look for that, that we try to verify everything they're giving us that they said was either burned up or, st or stolen. And we would even go out to stores and businesses with notes and say, can you check a receipt? You know, so that type of thing. We'd go out and try to verify what they're telling us. Yes, and, and sometimes you verify it. I mean, it, and I, you talk about alibis, I think it's funny, it's because, uh, well, in the Midwest here, and we work a lot in the Midwest, but I work all over the country, but it doesn't change when I go to other states. I'll, I'll take an uh, interview with an insured, and, and they'll say, well, I was at the lake. And I, oh, darn it. I can almost prove statistically that going to the lake will set your house on fire. I mean, it's sad. It's sad. In this area. And it's hard. Yep. I mean, yep. I, every time they say, yeah, I was at the lake, I said, oh, no, you know. Okay, so good. Well, and I want to I'll throw a little bit of a twist in here because for prevention, and, and I'm sure what you've seen when it comes to arsonists, when it comes to insureds, uh, typically for white collar, there's not a lot of remorse um, involved in this because, and, and I'm going to go on a, a soapbox here. They don't understand that they're putting firefighters and police officers and other people at risk, one. Two, they feel entitled because they've paid insurance premiums all these years, and they're not understanding that it's a pool. Because if you think about it, like my my house insurance is 700 a year. If my house goes and, and I am reimbursed, I'm going to get 200 and something thousand. How long would it take at 700 a year just to break even on that kind of a claim paid? So we're in this together. It's a pool. And, and just because you're paying doesn't mean you're entitled to anything. It's a contract, isn't it? Exactly. It's a contract between the insurance company and the insured and their duties and responsibilities on both sides of that contract. The company 
has to do certain things in the event of a loss, and mm-hmm. the insured in the event of a loss has to do certain things. There's even a provision in the policy, duties in the event of loss, mm-hmm. and it sets out what the insured has to do in terms of cooperation with the company right. and their investigators and their personnel, production of documents if required, uh, examinations under oath, and a list of other things. So it's, it's important. And I'm sure you've seen the lack of remorse. We've seen the lack of remorse. We've seen lack of cooperation. We've seen <laughs> partial cooperation and every, everything in between. <laughs> and I think I think that brings up a, one that another one that uh, that Larry and I work, which is um, um, well, lack of remorse. Let's let's talk about the one that out in the country there. And yes, oh, okay. <clears throat> I was with a company. I could not do my own, so I got. Uh, we brought Mike in to do the origin and cause. This house in the country burned completely into the basement. It was going to be pretty difficult to come up with origin and cause, but uh, he gave us permission to look at the property. We walked around, found several outbuildings. In one of the outbuildings was a whole pile of property that he apparently had stored to keep it from burning. That he wanted to preserve and didn't want it to go in the fire. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't have been all that important, except he turned every one of those things in on his list of uh, items lost in the fire. And I had all kinds of great photographs of these items. One of the items was, uh, or two of them were cowboy boots that he used on his farm. So when we went to the examination and oath with the attorney, I happened to kind of scoot back on the table and I look and see that he is actually wearing a pair of those very same boots that I have a picture of that he had already turned in as lost. We actually uh, denied his claim based on fraud and um, and I believe also fraud and arson. Uh, he took us to court in a rural county and uh, we actually, Mike and I both testified in that trial and we actually won that case. Uh, I think, uh, according to some of the jurors, without much doubt. Yes, there's no doubt about that. And the sad part of it is, is that that uh, of course he didn't get his money, which was fine. Um, and and people try this all the time because they have to prove in these, uh, prove up these uh, losses by signing this piece of paper called a proof of loss, and it's a sworn statement in proof of loss, so it has to be notarized. So he's swearing that he lost the stuff, and here it is. He's got it. He's wearing it. We're crying out loud. And right. let me tell you about, yeah, let me tell you about l- lack of remorse. It was uh, eight to 10 years later, I worked another fire with him in another, uh, down in Kansas City, Kansas, and it was a total loss. It was in the basement. Uh, this time, he, he was a landlord. And so that's the way that goes. Do you have any any interesting cases you can talk about that come to well, mind? Well, one that uh, kind of makes me think of on the uh, on the fraud on the boots. And by the way, that was a good job getting that one kicked, so to speak. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, this is a little bit one-off, but there was a, a theft claim. I think it may or may not have been involved in a fire. But on the documents that they turned in, they had purchased a large major appliance, might have been a big screen TV, washer, dryer. We'll say at a major store, for example, maybe Sears or a store like that. And then they produced a receipt. Then they turned in another item that was lost in the fire that was purchased eight months later, almost a year later. But when you look at the cash register receipts, these were handwritten. 
they had consecutive numbers <laughs> on the receipts. So if you believe that, then you would believe that that store made no sales right. in eight that's months. Right. <laughs> it's, it's the devil's in the details, and that's where you catch people is on the small stuff. Yeah. The big stuff, they'll have that planned out. Now, now, Larry, we uh, we've got we've got time. Uh, you, we're going to have a, a break in the middle of the of the program uh, for a couple of minutes, but uh, we're, we have a countdown, so don't worry about it. Anyway, here's a, a quick thing: when you're an SIU investigator, uh, things who how do you get a case? How did how did SIU get it? Did the adjuster send it to you? Or what? We would uh, almost annually, if not semi-annually, do fraud awareness training for our regular claims adjusters. And we'd have a list of things. Here's the things that are what we call red flags. These are the things you should look for that are out of the norm for a legitimate case. Mm -hmm. You start to see these, such as huge losses in a burglary or theft, much beyond what would normally be the amount stolen in a burglary or theft. Those type of things, lack of cooperation, you know, different little red flags, we'd train our people, and then they would always come to us and say, well, does this one look like it falls into that category? And we'd say, yes, let's take a look. We'd take it over, and so it was always kind of open, but we always worked together. And I really want to emphasize, too, that it's very important to do, and and we'll talk when we come back in a few, in a couple minutes, we're going to talk to... um, to Kent about um, the team approach, really. I mean, it's always important for for all of us to have a a team approach. Fire department and and police uh, uh, should work together. Uh, Fire departments and and private investigators can work together under the Arson Immunity Acts of different states. Um, And the attorneys are very important because what happens is you, the attorney does uh, the coordination of, of, of all, how he's going to present this case uh, to to the jury, and we speak English to the jury. Right, right. And also, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about subrogation. Certainly. Yeah, okay. so anyway, but that'll, that'll be in a minute. But uh, I'm sure that Larry has a couple more stories somewhere in, in the archives of, of, of his brain. Um, well... Yes, I hope so. Anyway, Probably. and yeah, yes, I, I have a few myself, and uh, and we're going to come back and talk to um, we're going to talk to uh, Larry and and uh, Kent. Uh, and by the way, guys, thanks a lot for being here because I appreciate it when we can be in the studio and we can see each other eye to eye, and the lot so it's a lot better. Absolutely. And yeah. thanks for having us. Oh, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. Yep. Let's. We'll be back. Come back to speaking of fire. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at FCIFire.com or call 913-262-5200. 
FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Okay, well, before we went to break, um, I wanted to I wanted to come back with uh, Kent. And uh, from the insurance company's perspective, uh, Kent, uh, you're an attorney. Uh, what should the insurance carrier? Uh, why should the insurance carrier, I guess, be interested in a team uh, approach? And and who should assemble it and stuff of that nature? When you are looking for the truth, you're trying to find the truth, and if the truth is that the fire was accidental, there's some logical explanation, then the claim should be adjusted and paid. And every responsible insurance company that I've ever dealt with looks for that, looks for the truth, looks for the correct answer. And if they owe the loss, they want to adjust it and pay it. That's what they should do. On the other hand, if there's a loss that uh, is something suspicious about it, it needs to be investigated, and that's why the team needs to be assembled. So you're looking for O&C people, origin and cause people. You're looking for other disciplines. If there is financial motive that is suspect, you may need an accountant. If there uh, is some type of evidence collected that needs to be analyzed chemically, you may need a chemist or a good chemical lab to do testing. If there's a product involved, maybe a TV set, a microwave oven, who, who knows what it might be. You may need engineers involved, but you have to consider everything. You have to try to run down these rabbit holes and find out what the answer is for each possible cause. Right, and, and um, uh, we use a lot of engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers. When you when you were SIU um, investigator, uh, Larry, did, did you get to... Um, hire your own engineers or, or were they had to be on an authorized list or what? Well, the last company I worked with uh, where I could actually do my own origin and cause, yeah, we had, I helped kind of stay on top of the preferred approved list. But yes, uh, engineers, whether it be mechanical, electrical, are very important to just get to the end of what you're looking for yeah. or either subrogation or a cause. Well, and that's something, um, and I wanted to talk to you about also, Ken, is that uh, fire investigation, it's, it's a science and it's an art. And when I say art, it's not painting pictures. It's, it's actually piecing things together and being able to interpret 
how things are. Right. And I know as a team leader, I have always had a lot of respect for uh, getting legal counsel invi- involved immediately because you are able to be a team leader and look at the different pieces of, of what what needs to be investigated and so forth. You, get, you need to get the right people involved, the right disciplines mm-hmm. from a science standpoint or an engineering standpoint or chemical, whatever it may be, certainly O&C, and you need to let them pursue what they're seeing, what evidence is out there, what facts are out there. And then your investigators are dealing with uh, behavioral things. They're interviewing and they're interpreting uh, human behavior. In part they are and they're also looking for physical facts. Uh, in, in the courts now, most courts have switched to the Daubert standard, which is a U.S. Supreme Court case, Daubert versus Merrill Dow Pharmaceuticals, where in the old days, in some states, you could have an expert who maybe had a degree and they went out and looked at a scene and they would come into court and testify, I think the fire was caused by X. Why do you believe that, Mr. Expert? Well, because I went to school at such and such a university, and I've been doing this for 30 years, and that's my opinion. (laughs) That doesn't work anymore. It has to be based on science. It has to be demonstrable. It has to be capable of being uh, uh, repeated in a laboratory situation. It has to be documented. We went from subjective to objective. Mm Yeah, it's that way because I say it's that way. It doesn't work anymore. Uh, it has to be based on science. Scientific principles are used uh, by us. And uh, and Larry, you would, you did the scene stuff and the interviewing and uh, and you know and and we understand us experts understand that we're just one piece of the presentation. If you're ever going to go to litigation, you know everybody wants to be the star. You know. And that's because of my testimony that we win. That's not true. Um, what it is, is this combination. In the end, the attorney's the quarterback. He's the one that calls the plays. And he calls who, uh, who gets to go to uh, testify and win. Uh, even the sequence is very important. And, uh, and you, I know you've testified in many a case. Um, and, and you realize that this your part, right? Just a part of the whole. Yes, and and what do you think? Um, what do you think? Let's talk about because uh, I teach an expert witness testimony course, and I know that you're an expert witness. What do you think is most important for an expert to get across to a jury? Just uh, for each particular case, the facts as you saw them. I mean, clearly and well defined with either photographs, written reports, and your testimony. It should be pretty clear what you found and if you articulate how you found it uh, yeah that's that's what you need and to be honest about it and not with any kind of a biased opinion well and an expert um, and I'm thinking of again uh, witness expert witness testimony in relation to if someone is lying Uh, their experience that is also falls into that that's it's objective because of their experience in dealing with liars. Would that be fair? Right. It is. And uh, again, you're looking for demonstrable evidence, not what I think it is, but here's what 
my opinion is, and here's why I reached that opinion. Mm -hmm. I considered this and that and everything going down the line. I ruled, was able to rule this out. How did you do that? You go through the process on a scientific basis so that you're, you're, you end up at that conclusion. It's not like you're trying to get to there mm -hmm. and you choose the facts that lead you to that. And that's what just Larry, and Larry just said it very well, without mm -hmm. any bias. With the, you put it, put it out there objectively. Um, I've had many an attorney tell me that the truth has a ring to it, mm -hmm. that the jury knows. Uh, and the other thing is the way you're, you just said it, you, the way you articulate it. You just tell the jury, and you're, trying, you're educating me, <clears throat> aren't you? Uh, you're educating the jury, and, and the, the attorney's questions helped us do that. The courtroom is a classroom, after all, mm -hmm. yeah. and you're trying to uh, help the jury by providing them evidence and good, credible testimony so that they can come to the right decision. Well, and two, uh, many of the classes over the years I've had in law enforcement uh, about interview techniques give you some of those signals to look for. Uh, they don't always prove beyond a doubt, but they give you indicators. Uh, people don't want to look you in the eye, they drop their heads, you know, all those, there's sometimes 40-hour classes about interview techniques, body language, what to look for, and um, it can certainly be part of your whole, what you're <laughs> looking right. at. You know, in, in, since 1974, you've been in law enforcement, <clears throat> and somebody's lied to you? I can't even believe that. Once or Larry. twice. <laughs> yeah, like constantly. Yeah. But uh, and understand, we don't testify that this guy is, I mean, uh, you don't testify he's a liar. Um, we're not psychologists. We, not, we don't have degrees in psychology, even though I got 57 hours and you probably have, what, 100? Sure. <laughs> but, okay, well, I mean, well, yeah, I was trying to figure out how screwed up I was, seriously. Anyway, but uh, here's the deal. Um, you do know from their responses areas to look forward, right? more more into. Exactly. That's just more reinforcement that we need to look closer at either this part of the equation, uh, dealing with property lost, where they were at the time, uh, you know, all those factors because, yeah, when they start to totally drop their heads and they don't want to look you in the eye or they're turning away or they're, I mean, there's so many things you learn in those things that he just uses some clues. Now, you said that twice now. From now on, everybody that I ever talk to is going to be staring me to death. He's there you just go. going to stare right at me. And, uh, no, <laughs> that but, uh, might be an indicator also. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's sure. also overboard, too. Well, and, in, and of course, in fire investigations uh, particularly and, and in lit litigation, you do run across uh, subrogation. You run across yes. a particular product, right, that, is, that, exactly. is, that causes fires. You want to talk about Exactly. That? And so one of your... Your uh, tools out there is uh, is the Consumer Product Safety Commission, and if you have a product that is suspect, uh, you can check and see if there have been recalls issued. You can check with the internet. It's just so easy now to Google information and look up that microwave oven or that big screen TV or whatever it may be and find out about the technology. Get your expert involved, mechanical, electrical engineer. Obviously, you need to recover the appliance, and you need to study it, and you need to preserve it. That's a whole other topic for another day would be spoliation of evidence. You have to preserve the information and the evidence. Mm -hmm. Throw away nothing. That's because right. somebody's, if as soon as you do, someone's going to want to see that. But in subrogation, what you're, you're trying to do is prove that a product caused a loss. 
if you can prove that, then the insurance company would adjust and pay the claim, and they would take uh, assignment and go after the company that manufactured that defective product. Yeah, and, and, and as a matter of fact, and I know that Larry and I have both worked those kind of fires where we where we went into a scene to look at it, and we found out it was uh, something years and years ago. They would use coffee makers used to burn a lot, and you remember those anyway. And so, um, and then they they had uh, litigation all over the country, and they removed those particular coffee makers, and 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 now they have fusible links in them that they didn't used to have. Uh, same way with uh, vehicles. Vehicles had defective uh, switches and stuff. Okay, so we when you when we find them, we get them off the street. So there's a lot of fire prevention that goes on in investigations also, and litigation. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Is helping make the world a safer place. Well, we hope so, and and that's why actually that's why we're doing this show. We we try to do one of two things. We try to say, don't do these kind of, of practices that are dangerous, whether it's uh, burning a, a Christmas tree in a in a fireplace or um, running a daisy chain of uh, a dozen uh, extension cords to, to run your air conditioner, okay? Um, don't do that. Or don't set a fire because we're going to come get you. Well, and that's something, too, is a, a building owner can go after a tenant for blatantly... Uh, Causing a fire. Yes. Yeah. And yes. That, yeah. And that, and, uh, and then they, you've got two insurance companies, one for the building and one for the tenant. Now you've worked both of those type, uh, Larry. And what what happens in a in a case where, let's say you have a because it's not always about money, right? Let's say you have a you have a case where a tenant is mad at his girlfriend or something and sets the apartment on fire. What happens there? Well, if you can actually. Uh, absolutely conclusively come down to their responsibility, most insurance companies are probably not going to cover that because that's not part of any kind of a policy that's written in there that, you know, the origin of any fire you're responsible for would still have to be accidental. Mm -hmm. So if you can prove intentionally setting that fire, most insurance companies, I think, are just going to say, no, we would cover you if you were not the brightest bulb <laughs> in the box, yeah. but uh, we are not going to cover intentional acts, and most policies are going to have that exclusion written right into them. That can be a multiple issue question. It depends on if the boyfriend girlfriend are living together in the same apartment. If they're both mm -hmm. signatories on the lease, then and they may, may both be named insured in the policy, and then you get into the innocent and co-insured issue or innocent spouse issue if they're married. Um, but there are some situations where a spite and revenge fire may be covered if it's set by an individual who is not in privity, that is, are not on the contract with the insured homeowner, and they wanted to harm the insured. The insured then is innocent as long as they didn't know about the fire, that it was going to happen, and they were not involved in it. But those are very factually detailed and there are a lot of layers on the onion that have to be peeled back and investigated on that. I remember, uh, and I'm going to date myself and, and you guys too, you'll remember this too, way back 30 years ago, <laughs> 30 some odd years ago, uh, one of the large carriers did not have a exclusion for uh, criminal acts of criminal acts in the policy and I will never forget a fire that I went out on it was a meth lab 
and it was accidental and they had to pay because it was an accidental fire but there was no there was nothing in the policy that right. said criminal right. act i've actually seen policies not recently but uh, that were written at a very low premium and they excluded arson fires it didn't matter if it was set by someone else. If there was a, a, an arson fire by a neighbor that was mad at you because you didn't return his mower. Oh, no. And he said, he said, I admit it, I did it. No coverage. Those are few and far in between. Yeah. I don't even know they're out there anymore. <clears throat> no. When they switched from the plain language, uh, they play to the plain language policy from the old New York 156 line policies, they dropped a lot of things. And one of the things was increase in hazard. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but now the now the states have come up with if you have a meth lab and uh, and you and your house burns, I don't care if it's intentional or not, it's still a felony and it's called an, an, an incendiary fire and an arson fire. So they're going to come after you. Absolutely. I'd like to encourage the the listeners out there, the in the public, to take a look at your policies, and and you know have your agent explain to you what is covered and what isn't, just in general, so that you have an understanding. And then ask questions um, when there's a claim. Ask ask your claims adjuster questions. Because there are these things that we do. It's part of the contract. You're signing a contract. Exactly. So in case you want to start cooking math, you should clarify that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I want all the, all the listeners <laughs> that are about to set a fire, I want you to call your agent and ask him if your fire insurance policy is still in effect. Do that the day before the fire, please. <laughs> And then see what happens. So your sarcasm is amazing. <laughs> but just for uh, general policy holders to understand, and I was thinking increase a hazard and for subrogation, that there's a reason that the insurance companies are, are doing and asking the questions they're asking. Exactly. We're trying to protect, trying to protect other insurers, and and uh, and let's talk. Let's go back to the. Um, let's go back to. I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell a story. There was this guy. Um, there was this guy that got mad at his girlfriend, and he decided that he was going to sit there. She was going to. She she wanted to break up. Okay. So what he did is he set fire to the closet of their apartment. They were on the same lease together and all that stuff. And then of course um, the police looked at it and it was a set fire and uh, he was the one that did it and they pulled him in and he confessed to it. But I think Larry and I'm going to ask for your comment on this, Larry. Uh, even when they confessed to setting fires, the way he said he did it was he took matches and threw them on the floor of the carpeted, uh, the carpeted uh, closet. That's not how he set that fire. Okay, talk, talk to me about do do they tell you exactly how they set the fires or not? It just depends. Some people will give you the biggest breakdown. It's like they can almost teach a class. <laughs> then other ones will just minimize. Everything like, yeah, I did it. I threw a match, but they won't go to detail. But you're, you're right; there wouldn't be enough hardly combustible material just to throw it there on the carpet. But uh, that's right. There's all different types of uh, types of idiots. So yeah, and uh, minimizing the, their responsibility, so they won't confess to using an ignitable liquid, say, and like gasoline. They'll say, yeah, I set fire to it, but I I didn't use I didn't use anything. Oh really? We got positive hits for gasoline. See, um, and I'm sure that you've you've had uh, Kent in your experience. Uh, you you've uh, you've been involved in many um, 
insurance claims. So there's all kinds of legal issues, right, involved? Absolutely. And on that scenario you were just talking about, in the exam under oath, that's one thing you could cover in the origin uh, of the fire. What did the insured or anyone else have stored there? Mm-hmm. Had they brought their lawnmower into the living room and, <laughs> and changed the oil and spilled gasoline out of the floor the night before? Well, if you can eliminate all those things and you have positive hits for gasoline, maybe multiple origins, not connected, you probably have something to talk about. I worked that guy. I worked that guy. Only it was a it was a motorcycle, and he was cleaning his he was cleaning his um, motorcycle parts uh, in a in a little pan next to the fireplace. What do you think happened? I, the fireplace was burning, by the way. Just the side. Yes. Yes. I mean, so it, bright as a dungeon, you know. What have you had some strange sets, uh, accidents, stuff like that? Sure. <clears throat> well, I. We had a fire when I was still a detective. It was very interesting. Uh, it was a meat market, but the guy also had a little bit of a kitchenette where he'd do sandwiches, and he was always a very nice guy. We'd stop in there and have lunch occasionally, but one night we got called out on a fire at his business. Right in the middle of his little kitchen area was a five-gallon gas can, so we called that a clue. <laughs> and uh, we start to investigate this, obviously, as a set fire, um, start to look for financial motive. And about a week into my investigation, I got a call from one of our reserve police officers who was a full-time accountant. He says, wow, I just found out this guy had a fire. And he said, uh, about a week before that, he called me and asked me, if I were to ever have a fire at my business, could you recreate my books? <laughs> oh, wow. I said, wow, that timing is amazing. Why don't you get in here and give me a statement? And so... He was convicted of uh, arson, so yeah. <laughs> sometimes you get lucky and you get those little bits of information that help close your case. So. Right, and he wasn't violating confidence because he was a police officer, and uh, and he had a he had an obligation to report knowledge right. of a crime too. So yes, on the part of the insured too, the insured has a duty to cooperate. So when you ask the insured for an exam under oath. They need to cooperate. When you ask the insured to sign authorization so you can go out to their accountant, to their basic people they deal with, and get their records, get documents, they need to cooperate. Yeah, and, and they do. And, and, uh, and well, how soon should an uh, attorney be, what do you think, uh, involved in, in, in fire cases? Particularly, I mean, when, when you're in thinking you're in thinking that it might be an incendiary fire. From my standpoint, the sooner the better, because you can uplink to the people that are boots on the ground, so to speak. They're out there on the scene. They're doing the ONC. They're investigating. You can get that information and suggest and advise on other tactics that should be uh, employed and and used in the investigation. Uh, Time is critical. Time is always of the essence in a in a claim investigation. Absolutely, in fact, there there's uh, different case laws or different restrictions on when uh, decisions have to be made. Right? Yes. And I agree with Kevin. Uh, sometimes, just as they say, two heads are better than one. But even more than that, sometimes you have a group of four or five people all look. Sometimes one person or two people will miss one little thing, and the third person said, "Wait a minute, how about?" we look at this. So it's always nice to have more people thinking about what we need to do. And I, I agree with him. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, I'm glad that you, that you guys are here because um, I want to get something from you. Uh, like Kent, uh, we've talked about a lot of things here today. Uh, what kind of principles uh, 
you know, we've discussed uh, there are other types of insurance claims that, that also not only fire claims, you can use them in all kinds of fraud claims, right? I mean, yeah, examination. Any, any kind of uh, a claim uh, where the insured has a, uh, duties to cooperate and uh, duties in the event of loss, yes. And so what about, uh, do you have a like a, a fraud story for us or something that you, they've never done the Perry Mason thing, right? Where you've asked them a question, they say, oh, and they break down and they say, I did it, I did it. Did actually, actually, I did. It was, not a, it was not a fire case, but we had an in-house controller of a company who was embezzling money. And I was taking a videotaped deposition of this individual. And I'd done a lot of background, a lot of questioning. We were two or three hours into it. And I asked him, I said, I just said, you did this, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I did it. <laughs> he confessed on videotape in the presence of a court reporter. And then I said, and the lending institution made it easy for you, didn't they? They were also a party and they had been uh, cashing checks and there were some red flags all over the place. So it does happen. Yes. Yeah, it's happened for, to me. Uh, well, it happened more often when I was a police officer, detective, but it's happened to me a couple of times during my investigations. But most of the time, uh, you know, they, they don't like to tell you. How about you, Larry? Did, did you? Uh, did well, the, uh, when I first left police work and went into uh, insurance investigations, I had a theft, a burglary out in the country. I would always go around and do a neighborhood canvas. I talked to one of the neighbors. He said, well, I didn't know about a burglary, but those people had a huge auction here about a month ago. I said, you don't happen to know the name of the auction company, do you? He said, yeah, I do, because I kind of know the guy. So I went with them. I had an authorization form from the insureds. They gave me the list of everything they'd sold in the auction. It was almost a duplicate of the $20,000 worth of stuff they'd reported stolen. So they pretty soon walked away from from that claim. I wonder why. <laughs> but uh, neighborhood canvases always, I still try to do those even on fire investigations yeah. and you go around to see what people know and exactly. neighbors see a lot. <laughs> well, I want to thank both of you guys for being here. Yeah, um, thank you've you. been um, very informative and we appreciate you and Larry, of course, you and I always jib back and forth, but um, next week we're going to have actually a comedy show. It's going to be the lighter side of, of fire in the courts, and we have an attorney by the name of John Loss who is uh, he was going who's now a comedian also. So uh, he'll be here with us, and uh, and Donna will be calling in. I think, aren't you? Yeah, yeah I so. won't even get to see it live. But anyway, have a great week. Have a great week, guys. And when you come back, please come back to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week. <laughs>